Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Hey, do you know where your checkbook is? Just, I'm just, you know, I'm just checking. Do you know where your checkbook is? Do you have a checkbook? If you're listening right now and you don't even know what a checkbook is, I rarely use it. my checkbook. <laughs> I know, but you have one. You know yes, what it I is. do have one. I know where it is. But. <laughs> if you don't even know what a checkbook is, ask an older person over the Thanksgiving weekend, what's a checkbook? Um, yeah, that might spark an interesting conversation. Here's my question this morning. If somebody handed you a forged check or a counterfeit, counterfeit bill if somebody were selling handbags or watches that imitate the appearance of the real thing could you tell the difference do you even care so as christmas approaches you may be tempted to give somebody a knockoff that's that's really my concern here uh just because it looks like the prized gift of great value if you know it's really not And over time, the person you give the gift to is going to realize that you didn't give them the real thing, the genuine article. Like, I don't know. It turns a weird color. It rubs off on their skin. You know, you know how this works. Um, If it's not the real thing, if it's not authentic, I, I mean, if this has ever happened to you, then you know how it feels to be given something fake counterfeit so nobody wants fake that's my that's my big the big message this morning nobody wants fake nobody wants to be the victim of fraud nobody appreciates imposters nobody likes hypocrites um we don't try to make friends with people who are known to be con men or posers we want real relationships with people who are real weirdness quirks and all I mean, I know I'm weird, and yet here you are being my friend. I thank you for that. We want authentic friendships. <laughs> we want authentic love. So this is the uh, who are you really conversation. This is, this is important for each of us to consider. Who are you really? We could ask it a different way. With whom are you the most real? Like the most real version of you. No fakery, no varnish, no posturing. With whom can you be your real self? With whom are you really you? Now consider that same question for just a moment in relationship with God. Because it's possible that somebody came to mind, right? Um, Your best friend, your spouse, your mom, your dad, your kid. The person with whom you are really you. Or the people with whom you are really you. And maybe you're saying, I'm, I'm really just me all the time. Fantastic. Now consider for a moment that question in relationship to God. Are you being real with God? Or are you putting on airs, putting on a show, making a show of it, posing 
I mean, heads up here, friend. God knows. God sees through the costume, the staging, the performance, the filters. God knows you through and through. And God loves you, the real you, all of you. Posing and posturing and putting up or putting on a show and filtering and curating an image. You might think these are like 21st century problems, and they are, but they're not new. Putting up a fake front or a facade, even among Christians, this is something that's been going on since people have been trying to impress each other, which, by the way, has been pretty much forever. So I think um, this is one of the ways of the world that we have learned that we have to unlearn. I mean, it's called imposter syndrome in the culture for a reason. Um, There's all kinds of calls for authenticity for a reason. Like, this is something that we have learned. We have learned to put on airs, to put on a show, to put our best foot forward, to not be our true selves. And we've got to unlearn that. And we've got to relearn as disciples of Jesus to be real, to get real. So the way of Jesus is the way of authenticity. Jesus is the genuine article, the real thing, the fully authentic. And we who are possessed of his spirit, washed in his blood, those who take his name, those of us who walk in the world as ambassadors of his kingdom, agents of his grace, ministers of his reconciling love, co-missionaries with him in the making of disciples, we can't be role-playing. We can't be pretending. People see through that. So what we want, as Paul outlines in today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, what we want is to become people who look like Jesus, who are like genuinely Jesus-y, the genuine article, conformed by one degree of glory to another, more into the likeness of Christ, more Jesus, less everything else. And today, Paul points out that that means that we can't just pretend to love other people. We have to actually, like really sacrificially, joyfully, graciously love them. Love them in spirit, yes. Love them in truth, yes. Love them in actuality, yes. So you're growing your faith. Verse of the day comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Don't just pretend to love other people. Really love them. Hate what is evil. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. So this is not a UBU um, encouragement. This is a UBJesus-y <laughs> encouragement. Yeah, until the time that every part of me is conformed to Jesus, I'm going to fail at this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be flawed. There's going to be errors in my ways. You're going to see through me sometimes because there's still, you know, me in the way of Jesus. And I want to get out of the way so that more people can see more Jesus, less me, more Jesus. So our Christian faith, our walk of faith, our discipleship is not a role play. It is not a put on. Just as you have experienced the reconciling love of God in Christ Jesus, so love others. As you have received grace upon grace, so love others. As you have been forgiven your trespasses day after day, so forgive others. 
as God is not counting your sins against you, so don't count the sins of others against them. As you have experienced the mercies of God new every morning, show mercy to others. Love generously. Forgive freely. Go out of your way to share the goodness and the grace. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love others with genuine affection and take delight in honoring others as image bearers of the living God, even if they don't know it. God sees them as worthy of the blood of Jesus. So must we. So every person you see today, every single one of them, love them in the spirit and with the love of Christ. That's a good project for us on this 17th of November. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. When we come back, I'm going to tell you a story that it's going to be hard to believe. I mean, it was hard to believe when the people of of God announced, you know, he is risen, he is risen indeed, in, in, in Jesus. he is risen indeed, glory, hallelujah, like Jesus is alive. That was really, really hard to believe. Well, I got one for you today. There are people on TikTok declaring Osama bin Laden is back and we should support him. Mm-hmm. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Okay, brace yourself. I mean, you know, I got good news this morning. We are uh, we have avoided a government shutdown. Yippee! Um, but I got I got some troubling <laughs> I have some troubling news for you today. Um, Osama bin Laden. Here's the headline: Osama bin Laden is back, and he has a whole new generation of supporters. American kids on TikTok. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so this is. This is not a bad dream. I mean, if you're just waking up and you're like, wait a second, Osama bin Laden is back. What? <sighs> okay, not um, not risen in the same way uh, as Jesus, but uh, his ideas being lifted up again in a new generation. So 22 years after Osama bin Laden masterminded the 9-11 terror attacks, 12 years after he was killed by U.S. Special Forces um, in Pakistan, The Al-Qaeda chief, Osama bin Laden, is back in the headlines. Why? Well, because TikTok and Gen Z um, and the Israel-Hamas war all combined to result in a comeback for the person who, in my lifetime, would certainly be credited with um, purveying the most death to the most Americans not only here in the United States, but around the world. Yeah. So this is really happening? Yes, this is really happening. Osama bin Laden's, quote, letter to America was a 4,000-word screed written decades ago by the perpetrator of the 9-11 attack on the United States that killed nearly 3,000 people on the day and has subsequently killed many, many others um, as the result of Uh, the things that they breathed in at ground zero. So Osama bin Laden's letter and its translation started circling online shortly after the the 9-11 attacks in, in 2001, especially among extremist Islamist organizations. And then in 2002, it was published in The Guardian. 
Um, it was a letter addressed to the United States and to Americans, and it sharply criticizes the United States. It criticizes our way of life. It criticizes the support of the United States for Israel, um, which the support of the creation of the state of Israel, Osama bin Laden calls one of the greatest crimes of all time. So after the escalation of uh, of the Israel-Hamas war in the Middle East, um, the Chinese-owned social media platform TikTok uh, started pressing out, started posting videos, quoting excerpts from Osama bin Laden's letter. And these uh, users, these young users, started talking about it um, as if it gave them a new historical perspective on the events of 9-11. They now have a context. They now see that the United States was was wrong. They now see that the United States is the problem. Um, and as a byproduct, increasingly critical of Israel and the Israeli government. So TikTokers uh, are on there describing the letter as, quote, eye-opening. Some going so far as to say um, that Osama bin Laden was right from his perspective, from his worldview, from the things that um, that he had uh, information that he had access to and the things that he was feeling, the motives out of which he was operating, quote, he was right. Seriously? Like, seriously, this is this is how far we have devolved in our ability to sort out truth from fiction and to sort out good from evil, literally perverting that which is evil and saying that it is good. So that's what's happening over on TikTok. I know you're not over there, but our kids are over there. Um, and The Guardian, in an attempt to... Uh, I don't know, in an attempt to stop the madness, they um, removed the link to the letter, which, of course, you know, has only resulted in now a conspiracy theory that, you know, the truth is being withheld from the people. (laughs) So it had the reverse effect. Um, Removing the letter from The Guardian's website uh, in an attempt to limit its distribution. I mean, you and I both know once it's out there, it's out there. Um, And so that just piqued people's interest. It contributed to making it go even more viral. Um, This attempt to censor or hide something from the Internet has totally backfired and massively increased interest in it. So people are predictably responding with anger. Um, Politicians in the United States have and the and the White House has been saying things like here's a quote from the White House yesterday. No one should ever insult the two thousand nine hundred and seventy seven American families still mourning their loved ones by associating themselves with the vile words of Osama bin Laden. Um. So uh, it goes, it goes, this conversation goes on. Here's why I bring it up today. Um, People are talking about it. Young people are really talking about it. And they're very confused. You and I who know the truth need to speak the truth. We need to be patient and honest. We need to ask them questions about where they're getting their information. How do you know that source of information is reliable? Is there any chance that any um, of that is made up or that someone is trying to convince you of something that's not true? How are you sorting out truth from lies? How do you know when you're being manipulated by what you're seeing um, on TikTok or on the internet or on social media? How might you test that theory? 
These are questions that I think we must be asking our young people. And we have to ask them, are you interested in hearing my perspective? I actually lived through 9-11. I actually remember it. Would you like me to tell you about it? How about um, let's read together the story of Scott Beamer. Let me let me tell you his story. Let me tell you how Osama bin Laden's worldview and actions on 9-11 affected Scott Beamer. Um, let me tell you about Phyllis from Atlanta who gave up her shoes to Tara Parker Pope so that she could walk home. Let me tell you the stories of 9-11. Take them to the 9-11 Memorial page at 911memorial.org and listen to some of the oral histories. The only way we're going to teach history is to take our kids into it. Um, our kids and every kid needs to know the truth or otherwise they will be utterly captive to the lies of the generation in which we live. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at myfaithradio.com. All right, something's got to give. Where are you going to cut the budget when finances are stretched? Something's got to give. You and I go through this process all the time. We're trying to figure out, okay, what, um, where can we scrimp and save and and cut and trim in order that uh, our finances, you know, balance out at the at the end of a day or at the end of a week or the end of a month and certainly at the end of a year. So <clears throat> something's got to give. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We are bringing the mind of Christ to bear on all that is going on in the world. And so we like to take some of the headlines of the day and put them through the filter, sift them through um, the the Christian worldview so that we can walk our faith out into the world that God so loves and do so in ways that honor Jesus and hopefully contribute something to the conversation out there in the world um, that might, well, Give another person pause and cause them to think a little longer or a little more deeply about what they're thinking about. So what are you thinking about today? What's on your mind? If you're actually like most people, one of the first things that's on your mind is your budget, finances, Um, particularly as we look toward the holiday season and we're trying to figure out, all right, I want to I want to go to grandma's house for Thanksgiving and I want to, you know, I want to take something with me. I got to figure out how I'm going to get there and how I'm going to pay for my gas. Uh, and I got to figure out how I'm going to pay for the groceries. And um, and then recognizing that there are probably going to be some things that grandma needs done. So um, I might need a few extra bucks in my pocket to provide for the things that I discover she needs when I arrive. Um, and then there's that sort of ever-present wish list issue. I don't know about you, but you know, the whole, everybody makes an Amazon wish list now. Um, that's sort of good and bad. Uh, it's just, it creates, it creates a sense of expectation that people are going to get, you are going to get them what is on their wish list, um, which takes some of the fun out of just going and, uh, and shopping during the Christmas season for people we love as if we would come up with a gift that we want to give versus, you know, something that's just on their list, checking off their list as opposed to giving a gift that blooms from our heart. All right. So all of that, uh, I bring to you the headline of the day. 
This is about uh, New York City and the mayor, Eric Adams, trying to figure out how he's going to balance his city's budget. So just like you and me, right, there are demands and there are demands that are screaming and urgent in uh, in this case, in this conversation. Uh, People who have arrived, uh, they came across the southern border of the United States and they are now in New York City. And Mayor Eric Adams, like mayors across the country and governors across the country, are trying to figure out how to feed them, how to house them, how to care for them. They cannot get work permits because um, they they crossed the border um, illegally and and made an asylum claim, which means that they are now here. The legal status as asylees awaiting um, hearings, which in most cases will likely never happen. And so they're, I mean, I don't know what we're going to do. Like literally like a head shaker. Like, what are we going to do? Millions of people are here and they can't work because of their asylee status. Um, And that means that somebody's got to care for their needs. And so in every uh, one of these towns and cities across the country, this is the conversation that's unfolding. And it is a conversation about something's got to give. Where are we going to cut the budget? Um, Our finances are stretched to the max. And so Mayor Eric Adams said, all right, here are the deep cuts that are going to be necessary um, for New Yorkers in order to continue accommodating um, this this challenge of all of these folks who are now in our city. So a billion dollars over the next two years, the budget cuts um, slash the city's Department of Education. They slash the budget of the NYPD. Um, Other other city services are going to be cut um, in order to continue caring for housing, feeding, um, providing for the medical needs, I mean, on and on and on, and the educational needs of uh, uh, of all of these folks from across the southern border. And so um, I want you to think about that for just a moment. What is the purpose of government? Why does it exist? And then is the government supposed to be the social safety net? And you're not, I mean, you're, you know my answer to this question. Like actually providing for the safety and protection of the people is primary, right? Making sure that people are safe. And so it seems like slashing the budget of the NYPD is not where you would want to cut the budget. Um, but who is going to fill the gap? Who is going to care for the material needs of, of these people? Yeah, you see where I'm headed here, right? The church, the church, all the people of God, loosed in the world today, knit together as a body of believers, right? We're supposed to be the social safety net. We're supposed to be caring for the least of these. We're supposed to be um, sheltering those who don't have a place to sleep and clothing those who are naked and feeding those who are hungry, as if we were serving Christ himself. Now, I know, I know we don't want to hear that because we're like stomping mad that, you know, people who were born somewhere else didn't stay where they were born, (laughs) which, of course, just consider that for a brief moment. And then consider all of the stories in the Bible that are stories of migration, people passing over geographic borders for reasons of famine, for reasons of natural disaster, for reasons of, of war, 
for reasons of persecution. Like human migration is actually just a huge part of of the biblical story. And so as Christians, like we got to filter these conversations that we're having here in a particular country. We got to filter them through the lens of who we know Christ to be and who we are as Christ people in the world today. So, yes, something's got to give. But the something that's got to give is probably the church. The church has probably got to step up and give. Our friend Dan DeWitt is going to join us um, next. We are going to talk about some of what is included in this week's Worldview Reader. We've got something from a skeptic named Michael Shermer um, discussing why I'm not a Christian, even as we have Ian Hersey Ali's Why I Am Now a Christian. Which one of those articles would you be posting for the wide world to read? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, our friend and author Dan DeWitt is back. You can find uh, what we're talking about today at theolatte.com. Dan is also a senior fellow at Southwest Baptist University. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Carmen. What's crackalacking? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was cold yesterday. Today, it's like strangely hot. It's going to rain. I don't know. Yeah, that's what it's confusing. And, and we're going to get like freezing rain and ice a week from today. I'm like, what? We live in anyway. confusing times. We do. We do. These are confusing help times. Sort, help us sort through the confusion, <laughs> dear sir. What if I were to ask you, why Why are you a Christian? Um, or what if we were to talk about why others are not? There are a couple of pieces that you have posted on the list of articles that we might read at theolatte.com and this week's Worldview Reader. Um, one is why I am now a Christian. Um, and the other is why I am not a Christian. Um, first of all, why why read people's public testimonies, and and how can we, from a Christian worldview, sort of sort through the conversations that people are having in public? Well, I think that as Christians, we just need to get better at being interested in people's stories. And so, I, I often tell people when I'm asked, like, "How do you, you know, get better at talking about Jesus and talking about your faith?" And I just say, you know, if you will be interested and curious, you could, you'll find a lot of doors open for you. Um, if all you want to do is kind of take your like three to five minute um, prepackaged presentation and kind of just, you know, um, drop it on someone, then, you know, th- th- there's a place for that. There's a time for that. But we need to listen to stories, right? So um, I, I'm reminded of a story that Sam Alberry likes to tell, the uh, our mutual friend, and Sam calls it, um, I forget the term he uses for it, but it's essentially where we just feel really this compunction, this you know, obligation and need. I have to go tell someone um, the gospel. And it's kind of like we go and it's evangelistic vomit. We just, we get it all out, all over them. And we feel better um, and we walk off feeling great, you know, but they're just kind of standing there like, what just happened to me? And I think a way to avoid that, that gross imagery, sorry for this early in the morning, um, is to listen to stories. And so we have here a link to this powerful um, testimony of someone who's really in the process of coming to grips with Christianity. She says that she's no longer a Muslim. Um, she's a lapsed atheist. And in, in this essay where she talks about why she's a Christian. So I would say this is someone who's really kind of in process. In response to that is her good friend, Michael Shermer, who is a 
very committed skeptic. Um, he normally, when people say the kind of things that Ali has said, he normally goes after them, like with a vengeance. But what I like here is she's his friend. And so his response to her is framed that way. And then I think he starts bringing to bear in this conversation, and I've kept up with him over the years in terms of reading his stuff, um, what I think he would see as his strongest arguments. So he's arguing that we don't need Christianity to have the kind of moral structure that can fight Islam. We don't need Christianity to have the kind of moral structure that would prevent anti-Semitism. Um, all of this can be found in in humanism. And I think at the end of the day, these are the two, these are two worldviews, two ways of seeing the world that are always going to be in conflict, whether it's a man, human-centered approach, or whether it's looking beyond the natural universe. And so that's why I posted these two stories. I think they're powerful and they're really powerful when read side by side. She has quite a um you know, a personal journey and testimony to talk about. Like mm -hmm. she's an interesting, an interesting um, worldview. And I think engages in the worldview conversation in a substantive way that's worth our reading and understanding. Um, she's also gotten, I don't know, criticism, backlash, flack from people who are Christians who, you know, she's not she's not there yet. She's not the right kind of Christian. She's not fully formed. Like what, what is, you know, this is not a conversion testimony. This is like a rational reasoning your way to faith. That's not legit. Does everybody come to faith the same way, Dan? Like, does everybody have to have a, uh, a, a, I mean, I hope not a road to Damascus, Paul like experience, hmm. or are some people actually genuinely like, like raised in the faith. I know people who they can't point yeah. to a time and place when they were quote unquote converted because, you know, they they have been raised in the context of Christian families and Christian community all along the way. That's such a great question. And of course, it touches on this great theological mystery of how it is that a sovereign, all powerful God interacts with humans who he's created with free will, who make real decisions. And in that process, the spirit has to be at work, and but the person actually has to respond. And you have all these things that sometimes theologians think they've figured out more than than I've come to the place in my life. I, I think there's so much mystery there. Um, but thank God that he gives us each a story. They don't all look the same. Um, I love how C.S. Lewis once said, the intellectual path is not the only way to God, but it is indeed a road. And it's a road that some people will take. And she's, I think, on that path. And so uh, people who would be critical of this kind of, I, I'm, I'm leaning into Christianity with my head first. You know, for me, it was the other way. It was my heart first. You know, I had a, I tell people I'm a Christian first and foremost because I had a, a spiritual experience. And I use that language because my skeptic friends sometimes can identify with that. In the church, we might call it getting saved or being converted by the spiritual experience that was powerful and real. And then since then, I've developed an intellectual framework for making sense of it. Um, I think that she is leaning in head first, and this is kind of a rational way. And there are people who take that route. C.S. Lewis took that route in many ways. Um, the, the intellectual arguments prepared him. You know, sometimes um, even C.S. Lewis would refer to this, these intellectual kind of arguments as pre-evangelism. It's clearing out obstacles. And so if I were to give a succinct kind of response to is the rational approach enough? 
I would have to call upon the wisdom of Tim Keller, who said that it's like a three-rung ladder. And the first rung is a recognition that atheism, and the, the ladder is leading from atheism or skepticism to faith. The first rung is that atheism requires at least as much faith as Christianity, because it's based on propositions that can't be scientifically verified. That's jargony. It's based on things you can't prove. You can't prove there's not a God or that the universe mm. is all that exists. Um, the second rung of the ladder is that atheism actually requires more faith. And that's where her article is getting at, that there are certain things mm -hmm. that atheism can't really account for. But the final rung of the ladder is that it takes a commitment to know God. So re reason could take you so far, but then you have to commit. Dan, um, what's your story? Why are you a Christian? You know, I knew the gospel, and uh, you're going to get me in the fields, Carmen. I'm I'm not going to become a blubbering mess this morning. <laughs> but uh, I knew the gospel, and I was running from God. And I was at a youth camp. It was a Monday night um, in 1993, and I, it was the first night of camp, and I didn't want to be there for any spiritual reason. And there was a crazy old school preacher named Gene Wolfenbarger. And I, I was only 15, but goodness, I can't. People say, how do you remember that name? And I'm like, how do you, how forget, you forget it? it? Yeah, how could you forget <laughs> and, that? Yeah. But Carmen, he was walking around. He was waving a white hanky as he preached. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. It's kind of dramatic. Um, an old school funny preacher. And he ended up walking down the aisle and there was an empty chair next to mine. And he sat down and he said, some of you are here and you're running from God. And I'm here to tell you, you can't outrun him. And some of you have excuses for why you are rejecting the love of God. And I'm here to tell you that your excuses aren't good enough. And it is this hardened little punk 15 year old kid, tears started streaming down my face. And that, that's the, that was the night I realized God's love was for me. And I responded. So that's where it started. Didn't end there, of course. That's where it started. I love that. Love that. I um, thank you for sharing that. Um, if you're listening right now, um, why are you a Christian? Or if you're listening right now and you're not, why not? Um, do you have a story of the way Christ sought you out and you allowed yourself to be found? Do you have a story of seeking Christ and mm -hmm. finding him? Like, right? So what is your story? I mean, would you be prepared to answer the question that I just asked Dan? If you and I were to sit down and I were to say, what's your story? Why are you a Christian? Or what's your story? Why are you not a Christian? How would you answer that question? And what might our conversations look like today if we entered into them with that kind of curiosity? Mm -hmm. Instead of assuming that we know why somebody doesn't believe or assuming that we know why somebody does believe, what if we asked, hey, what's your story? Why are you a Christian? Or, hey, what's your story? Why are you not a Christian? Um, and then let's be prepared, right, to tell our own stories as well. Dan, you've got a great um, series posted right now at Theolatte.com. I want to unpack them. There, uh, There's a series of three Rethinking the kind of person God uses and the kind of work God blesses. Let's um, let's tee it up and then take a break. And when we come back, let's unpack them. Well, we're going to talk about Bart Simpson, Vincent <laughs> Van Gogh, and someone you've never heard of, Edward Kimball. 
And it's it's a mixture of a personal and biblical reflection that arguing that we need a radical transformation in our perception of the kind of person God uses and the kind of work God blesses. If you've ever wondered what Bart Simpson has to do with the gospel, that <laughs> is up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, Bart Simpson, bit of a brat, right? Yes, well, there's a reason for that. Uh, We're talking with Dan DeWitt. Dan, among other things, is the director for the Center for Worldview and Culture at Southwest Baptist University. He he blogs at theolatte.com. There's a series of blogs posted right now called Rethinking the Kind of Person God Uses and the Kind of Work God Blesses. Bart Simpson really, in real life, had parents named Homer and Marge and sisters named Lisa and Maggie, but he didn't. Uh, use his own real name uh, as uh, you know to fill his character spot in the family. Who is uh, who is Bart Simpson, and how how does he help us rethink the kind of person God uses? Well, Matthew Groening is the creator, and I, I tell the story in this blog post about how I think we have a this mental image of the kind of person God uses and the kind of work God blesses, and the immediate. <laughs> illustration that came to mind was from The Simpsons. And years ago, I remember watching the episode where their neighbors, The Simpsons' neighbors, the Flanders, who are <laughs> described on per- Wikipedia. What's as that? Perfect. Go ahead. Go as ahead. Perfect. The Flanders. Yeah. So, yes. So Ned Flanders is described as the show's evangelical Christian, right? And um, I think that most of us kind of probably identify more with The Simpsons than The Flanders. And so and often we we don't think the Simpsons are the kind of family God could use. And um, I just remember this episode where the they, the Flanders wanted to evangelize the Simpsons. So no matter, they just showed up night and day at different places on their doorstep. They called and they would sing the uh, Go Build an Arky Arky song. God said so, to Noah to build him an arky arky. God said to Noah to build him an arky arky. Build it out of gopher barky go barky, barky, barky. Yeah, I'm telling you, I resonate with this. All right. So what you're suggesting <laughs> yeah. is maybe, maybe God doesn't just use people like the Flanders. Yeah. And so, and here's the thing, Matthew Groening, you're absolutely right. He, he, he the entire Simpson family is his family. They're his family members' names, but he called himself the brat. That's who he plays in the story, and he rearranged those letters to be Bart. Um, Matthew's from a conservative Mennonite background, and I just wonder, you know, his first success in comics was a series called Life in Hell, and I wonder if there was someone along the way that could have shown Matthew Groening that 
and today he describes himself as an agnostic. He doesn't believe it's possible to know if or if God, whether or not God exists. Um, but I wonder if someone would have shown him that God has a plan for Bart. <laughs> um, God could use him. And I have to tell you something really cool, Carmen. This isn't in the post, but I had a friend um, share with me how they met someone from China who um, came to a religious service and um, in New Zealand, actually, but they moved from China there. And they came forward, they met with the minister and said they wanted to become a believer. And he asked them what they knew about the gospel. And they began telling them that they learned about Jesus through American um, television. And he said, well, what, what broadcast was it? And they said, well, it was The Simpsons. And they had heard, he said, it was watching The Simpsons. I realized Jesus died for me. And I want to know more about that. And I think what a powerful thing, you know, and and the point this person shared with me is even though Ned Flanders is a characterization, I mean, academics even have a term for when you reduce someone down to their most exaggerated qualities, and it's called flanderization. You know, that's what happened on the show. But even though he's this characterization, it's still a real Jesus. And I just Mm -hmm. wonder if Matthew and other people listening could get a vision for using their gifts and may not have church written on what they're doing and it may not it may not have theology stamped on it but what could god do with your gifts whatever they are what could matthew groaning do um what could god do with matthew groaning's gifts what could god do with bart and that's kind of the point of this first post is that um you don't have to be the flanders to be used by god and I wonder if Matthew Groening has ever considered that he who does not think God is knowable has made mm. God known, or God has revealed himself through the work of that particular man's hands. Like, it's yes. crazy. It's so crazy the way God chooses to work and the kind of work God blesses. Let's talk about Vincent Van Gogh. Let's talk about your decision um, between art school or Bible college. Well, you know, the this this second post in the series was really personal for me. And um, in that, I don't know if you ever think about how life could have been different. Um, oh, totally. Sliding doors, man. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, ultimately, I believe God is in control of everything. But you have those moments of, for me, kind of moments of melancholy where you become reflective. And I look back, I've always loved creative things. And it's always kind of been, I mean, for a long period, it was something I was embarrassed of. Um, and I just put it away. Um, and then finally, when I've come back around to it, it's always kind of the secondary part of my life. And I wonder what would happen if it would have been the the primary part of my life. And I, I went, I was scholarship at my public school. They chose one kid to go to art camp at Eastern Illinois University um, the summer after my junior year. And my art teacher called me, who, who was just a sweet lady. And she said, we've chosen you. And so I got to go to art camp. I took graphic design from the guy who created the the Big Ten logo. And, um, and I just loved it and had a great time there. I, I went to midweek worship at a church nearby. And because I was a high school kid, I couldn't go alone. So my chaperone, one of the chaperones went with me and she was an atheist. And so we had great conversations. You know, I've been doing art with her during the class week, but now we're at this church. And I went from there immediately to church camp. And had a great time at church camp as well. Um, and I surrendered my life to do whatever God wanted me to do. And and that was a very sincere decision. Um, and I had people who loved me and cared for me and wanted what was best for me. But they surmised that that meant only one thing, 
Bible college. And so I did that. And looking back, I'm sure that was God's plan for my life. But I wonder if someone would have sat down with me and I'll mention Vincent Van Gogh um, and said, you know, there's there's a whole creative world that you can make a real difference in. I have a friend who's a, in marketing here in the area. Cincinnati has a massive um, has a massive creative community because of Kroger and Procter and Gamble in the area. And he told me once, um, he said, you know, that that world can be a dark place. And he encouraged me as much as I have opportunity to try and have a, you know, take take advantage of opportunities there. So I wonder if someone would have said, you know, what if instead of Bible college, you considered something else? Vincent Van Gogh was a preacher's kid. And a lot of people, when they think of Vincent Van Gogh, immediately think of his most iconic pieces or the fact that he cut his left ear off. And we often make jokes about that, but he deeply struggled with mental health issues. And so I wonder, like, what if someone could have really gotten through to him um, and and shown him God's tenderness as it relates to his mental health struggles? But he also struggled with calling. And so he wanted to be like his dad. He wanted to be a preacher. And in Amsterdam, he he already knew four languages. Um, he didn't want to study Latin. And because he wouldn't study Latin, he couldn't get into the, the theology program. Um, but nonetheless, he ended up being able to go and lead a mission. Um, and he was able to serve the underprivileged, the poor in a mining community. And he was actually so sacrificial with them that it earned him the nickname, the Christ of the coal mines. He only had one outfit. He gave all of his clothes away, um, except for one outfit. He he was given from the mission, um, from the Reformed Church, he was given a stipend for an apartment, and he refused to use it. He gave it to a single mom who had kids. And so he slept on people's floors, on their couches, wherever he could find a place to sleep. And after two years of doing this, he was defunded. They um, concluded that his ministry was undignified and ineffective. Mm. And so there was a, a minister in a nearby village who was asked about Vincent Van Gogh in an interview, and he recalled his sacrificial service and his love. But then he he completely dismissed his artwork. He said that Vincent Van Gogh did not create the kind of things to which they attributed beauty. And of course, Vincent Van Gogh died um, at the age of 37, an uncelebrated artist at that point, um, most likely from a self-inflicted wound. And I wonder, I just wonder what if someone could have walked with him through that and said, you know, there's this amazing God who wants to use every single part of you. He's not going to waste a talent or a passion or a relationship. And so that's the point of this post. I had a friend who recently, an old friend who recently said to me that she wished she had a calling. And I think we need a reminder that um, there's a blessing in seeing God use all the little things we get the opportunity to do. And so that's, that's so good. what that post was about. That's so good. All right. You're going to have to go and read all three of the Rethinking the Kind of Person God Uses and the Kind of Work God Blesses at Theolatte.com because you definitely, definitely want to know um, the the third story that um, that Dan tells in this series. Dan, as always, thank you so much. We are out of time for hour one here on Mornings with Carmen, but the good news is there's hour two. We're going to do a farm, a Friday farm report at the outset and more pandas, less fentanyl. Don't you want to know about that? Yeah. We're going to uh, issue a bit of a travel advisory and our friends um, Adam Holtz and Rosaria Butterfield are going to be here in hour two as well. So stay tuned. Thank you so much for the gift of your time and attention 
during this hour. How's the Lord speaking to you? What is he revealing to you? How are you going to, in obedience, um, respond to that? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.